about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Roger, I'm one of the ministers here. It's great to be with you this evening and to be starting this new series from uh, 1 Samuel. In fact, we're going to do 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we're going to uh, race through them rather quickly. Four sermons on 1 Samuel, uh, four sermons on 2 Samuel, but we're going to be following the life of David. And um, the, the kind of theme, the overall theme for what we're doing is the life of David, a man chosen by God's own heart a man chosen by God's own heart. And we're going to pick up why we've called it that uh, next week. Uh, But today what we want to do is to kind of set the scene, to come and understand exactly what's taking place behind the scenes as we start to look at the life of David. So what I want to do tonight is start off by looking at 1 Samuel and starting to think about what's taking place there, uh, particularly chapter 3. We're going to look at that together and see what God has to say to us. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word, and we thank you that you do speak to us uh, through it, and we pray that tonight, as we come to your word, that we would have open ears, and that our lives might be transformed, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the book of Samuel takes place around about 3,000 years ago, and um, it's about probably 200 years after the Israelites had settled in the land of Canaan. Uh, The book of Judges is written about the same time, um, and what we discover is that the people have settled into this land, but there's a problem. There are leaders who have led people astray. In fact, in many ways, there hasn't been much leadership at all. Uh, At the end of Judges, we read, in those days, no ki- there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so there's kind of an anarchy taking place uh, amongst the people of Israel. There's no political authority over the land. And there's a great crisis in leadership. And so 1 and 2 Samuel start to show us what God is going to do about that. How God is going to enter into this situation. And it does it by talking about three particular leaders. The first, of all, the first one is Samuel. Then it'll introduce us to Saul, the first king of Israel. And then we'll hear about David. And we're going to spend most of our time with David, the greatest king of Israel. And we're going to look at how God acts within this situation, within this very dark situation where the people of Israel are really without leaders. They're just not following God And they're in quite a lot of darkness. We're picking up the story in Samuel chapter 3. And when we get there, we discover there's a number of things, uh, a number of people we're being introduced to. Uh, In chapter 3, verse 1, we read these words. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Who is this Samuel? Well, if we look at the first two uh, chapters of Samuel, what we discover is that Samuel is someone who has been longed for. Samuel is the son of Hannah, 
And Hannah has been longing for a child. Longing for a child for many, many years. And yet she's been unable to conceive of that child. And so frequently she's been found in the temple praying that God would help her conceive. She says words like this, Lord Almighty, if only you would look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall ever be used on his head. There's a great longing, a longing for a son to be born. In due course, God answers that prayer with a son. And the name of that son is Samuel, which means, because I asked the Lord for him. In chapter 2, we discover this beautiful prayer where Hannah is rejoicing at the birth of her son. And just as she'd prayed and just as she'd committed, she committed Samuel to the temple. And throughout these chapters, we discover that Samuel ministered to before the Lord. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Samuel continued to grow in the stature and favor of the Lord and with all people. When we meet him in chapter 3, we think that he's probably about 12 years old. This is the boy that has been longed for. And he's here in the temple. And yet there's another sense in which Samuel has been longed for as well. As we unfold the story in chapter 3, Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, but in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming too weak that he could barely see, was lying in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God, of God was. As we look at Eli, who is the priest in the temple, we get the sense that these are dark days, that there's a crisis. The priests are there to speak God's word, to offer sacrifices, to represent the people before God. But here is Israel's mediator, feeble, frail, unable or unwilling to fulfill his duties. And you can imagine as people look on, those who want to worship God, there is a deep longing for things to change, for there to be a word from the Lord for the word from the Lord was rare. The lamp had almost gone out. And in many ways, Eli symbolizes what's taking place in the nation of Israel. He could barely see. It's like there's a great darkness on the land. Perhaps the answer could be found in Eli's sons. It would not have been unusual for them to receive the priesthood from him or continue on in his role. But we discover in chapter 2 that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are both scoundrels, they're called, in chapter 2, verse 12. They had no regard for the Lord. In fact, what they used to do is take the meat that was used for sacrifices and they would feed themselves and others. And in fact, sometimes they would not only take the meat that had been offered for sacrifices, they'd take the meat before it got to the sacrifice. 
so that the people couldn't actually sacrifice anything because they'd already taken the meat from them. And then we discover they've been sleeping with the women who are outside the tent, outside the temple. And these men are completely corrupt. In verse 17 we read, This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. These are indeed dark days. And you can imagine a longing for things to be different. For God's word to be spoken, for there to be a light, for there to be leadership. And yet, as we see in verse 3, the lamp of God has not yet gone out. And so God speaks. Verse 4. And he speaks to Samuel, the one who was longed for. The Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here am I. And he runs to Eli, and he says, Here I am, you called me. But Eli says to him, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Again the Lord calls Samuel, and Samuel goes up, And goes to Eli and says, here I am, you've called me. And Eli says, my son, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. The third time though, Eli works out that it must be a word from the Lord. And he realises what is taking place. Now it's taken him three times to realise that God is speaking. That shows you the difficulty of the situation there. Even the priest can't hear God. And so the third time, he says to um, Samuel, go and lie down, and if the Lord calls, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so Samuel goes and down, down and lie, lies down, and in verse 10, we hear, the Lord came and stood there and called him and said, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel says, speak, for your servant is listening. Notice he misses the Lord. doesn't use the word the Lord. It's like he's overawed with what is taking place. But he says, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord says this in verse 11. See, I'm about to do something in Israel which will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Now, somehow Samuel goes back to sleep. I don't know how you do that after all that's taken place of that night and God's spoken to you. But he goes back to sleep and in the morning, Eli asks him to tell him what happened. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But what's clear is that the long wait is over. That God has begun to speak. That God is saying something. That God will speak into this darkness. Now that's confirmed later on in verse 19 when we said the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized that Samuel was an attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Silo and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. As God speaks, 
Something new is beginning. Something different is going to happen. The light has begun to shine into this darkness where there's been an absence of leadership, an absence of priests who've led people to the Lord. God is no longer silent. He is speaking through his word and he's speaking through Samuel. In many senses, the waiting, the longing is over. I guess the question for us is, what can we learn from these words? Well, I wanted to pick up that phrase in verse 19 that kind of gives us further insight into what God is doing. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Now, in some senses, that can just mean that God was with Samuel and continued to help him speak. But in another sense... It speaks of God's everlasting word. Because that idea of falling to the ground is like words die. When words fall to the ground, they, they just die. But here it's saying that none of Samuel's words, none of God's words, fell to the ground. It's a bit like this. In the, in the graveyard, uh, we have lots of headstones. And many of the words are falling to the ground. Literally, the words that are on the headstones are disappearing. They're made of sandstone and over time it's weathered and the words are falling to the ground and they will be remembered no more. But what we're reminded of here is that God's words don't fall to the ground. Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 22, he said, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. They will never fall to the ground. Now that idea that there might be words that never fall to the ground is a beautiful idea, isn't it? A beautiful thought. In this era where we have so many words spoken, when our leaders speak words that are false when we go on social media and there's words and there's trolls and there's so much angst, so many words falling to the ground. It's beautiful to think that there are words that won't fall to the ground. Words that are true. Words that are, will last. Words that are right. Words that have meaning and purpose. Words that shed light and show things as they really are. Not just words that will fall to the ground. Of course, if God's words are true and they do not fall to the ground, it's like they're like gravity. They can't be bent to our own wishes. They're words that go on forever. And like gravity, they can't be changed. You know how gravity works? You can say you don't believe in gravity. You can organize things so you can try not to believe in gravity. 
You can do all kinds of things around gravity, but in the end, if you don't take notice of gravity, it's still going to get you. Well, same with God's words. God's words are like gravity. They just remain. And with that comes a significant challenge. If God's words are everlasting and they speak into every era and into every time and they don't fall to the ground, then sometimes they'll say things that we don't wish to hear. You know, in verse 11 where we read that the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone tingle. At the first thought, you think, oh, that just means God's speaking and your your hairs are standing on the back of your neck. Oh, wow, this is exciting. But actually that that sense of of your ears tingling is that sense of being terrified. I don't know whether you've had one of those dreams where you're in the dream and you're trying to get away from something and you're terrified and you can't get away and you're you're running as fast as you can and the words are trying to... and you're stuck. And the sense here is that there is a terrifying word that is coming. And indeed, we see that in verse 12. See what happens to Eli? At that time, this is the words that the Lord speaks to Samuel. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of his sin. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by a sacrifice or an offering. Now, Samuel has to relay those words to Eli. He insists that Samuel tells him what the Lord has said. You can imagine Samuel's fears as he expressed these words, these words of God's judgment upon Eli and his family and his sons. But Eli responds in verse 18 with probably the only sensible words in the whole narrative that come from his mouth. He says, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. He accepts the judgment of God. It's like he accepts there's gravity. God's laws will rule. What God says goes. It is the way that it is. Now what that reminds us of is that God's words as he speaks them to us will often challenge us And call us to obedience. God's words will often say to us, actually you need to be broken. I need to break your pride, God says. I need you not to live in disobedience and so my word will be spoken against you. I will break your life. I will break your pride. I will break your soul. Now, if God's words don't break us in some way, like these words spoken to Eli, we have a problem. 
Because if we only have a God that speaks words that we want to hear, words that somehow give us meaning, we make God into an idol of our own formation. If you can't disagree, if you have a God you cannot disagree with, then you have no real God at all. You have a God whose words will fall to the ground. But this God is in the business of exposing who we are in challenging us and making things real, in saying things as they really are. Because his words don't fall to the ground. Now that sounds very heavy and very powerful, and yet in the midst of this story, there is a great hope. I wonder if you noticed what happened the third time that the Lord spoke to Samuel. It's actually not something I'd noticed before, and I I guess I just treat it as a bit of a Sunday school story. You know, it's the third time he kind of had to get it out there. But did you notice what happened in verse 10? The Lord came and stood there. In the other times, God had spoken, but in this time, in this third time, when he pronounces this judgment, the Lord came and stood there and called Samuel, Samuel. And I think this beautifully foreshadows what Jesus has done for us. You think about John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. For we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes to speak the truth about our situation, the truth about who we are, the truth about what is going on. Hebrews 1 puts it this way, In past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these days... God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The word comes to Samuel. The word become flesh, makes his dwelling Amongst us. And so in the same way that God was leading his people by his word, God leads us by his word. But also in the same way as God was leading us um, through his word in 1 Samuel, God also leads us now. Because if you read on in Hebrews, what you discover is this word that is spoken also reveals all things. Also uncovers things. Also breaks us. For the word of God is live and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates us, dividing our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The same God who was speaking to Samuel and to Eli is the same God who speaks to us. And he uncovers everything. He lays bare things before his eyes. And we must give an account in the same way that Eli had to give an account for the way that he behaved. And yet, there is hope. Because you remember in 1 Samuel, God was speaking and he was speaking in the darkness to do something. He was speaking into the darkness to change things. He came in the person to speak. And as we read Hebrews, we discover that he has spoken and that he has spoken as a high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We long for words to be true and not fall to the ground. And yet when God speaks them, they can break us. And at the same time, God says, there is a great high priest, a high priest that is far better than Eli, a high priest that is far better than Samuel, a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. And he becomes our sacrifice. He stands in our place. He takes the judgment that we deserve, that God has pronounced on us. And because he is our high priest, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Words of beauty, words of hope, words that speak and call us to repent and obey, but words that also meet the longings of our hearts. Words that mean that God wants to do something new in you and me. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.